Hey, thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast. Today we're talking all about work and what godly work is compared to what godly rest is and how we can find a delicate balance in our lives. We also talk about how we can bring our faith into our workplace and what it means to truly develop a character of great quality work and how God has implemented work from the beginning of time. Well, Nate, we're back at it again. Big Dan. <laughs> I'm surprised you let me come back. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you. You too. Bro. And uh, we're here today talking all about work. And so I thought it would be ideal to hear about your work experience. If you had any crazy, embarrassing moments or just funny moments that you look back on. And Yeah. Well, as you know, uh, I've worked here at this church for a very long time in lots of different roles and functions. I've done not everything there is to do, but a lot of the things that there are to do on a church staff. It's actually part of the reason I wanted to teach this series about work is because I thought, man, I need to really study and think through the implications of work for the people in our church, partly because I'm not very experienced when it comes to the work (laughs) world. I've been working for the same organization, so to speak, for you know, 25 years. Um, But you asked me that question before we started recording. Is there any embarrassing memory that you have? And I've embarrassed myself a lot (laughs) here working in the church, but one stands out. I remember when I was young, I was involved in uh, one of my responsibilities in the church was in producing our church's radio program. We had a local Monday through Friday lunchtime radio program. And so I was taking the teachings of the church and I editing them and creating bumpers and all of that. And the leadership liked what I was producing and the scripts that I was writing for the intros and everything. So they one day had an idea to, as uh, many churches do, try to figure out a better way to do <laughs> announcements on Sundays. And so they thought, hey, let's ask Nate to write an announcements script, and then let's have him record those announcements in audio form, and at a point in the service, we'll play those live for everybody (laughs) over the speakers. And that moment in the church service where we were all just like sitting there looking around listening to these audio announcements with no visual help at all and nobody even standing on the stage and I was like in the back of the room just sitting there like this is so awkward we should not be doing it this way it lasted one week and it was pretty embarrassing that's awesome yeah you don't want to try that for us on I Sunday? really it was not effective it's been tried that's awesome Well, we know how not to do things. Yeah, there we go. That's good. Well, we started a new series on work, and I absolutely loved the first um, crack at it. It was was amazing. And to just hear the perspective, even from Genesis, I I didn't even think that the first thing 
one of the first things God mentioned to Adam is work. And so from the beginning of time, work was implemented. Amen. And we're, we're talking about work, and you discussed about how we need to have a delicate balance between godly work and godly rest. So I figured to start things off for people who may just stumble upon this podcast or might not have heard this sermon, what is godly rest? Because I know rest can be subjective to anybody. Rest could be going on vacation, going home and sleeping, or even just turning your mind off and watching TV. Yeah, it's a great question, man. And it's almost like anybody who's listened to me teach or listened to this podcast even probably has come away with the idea that I have a pretty strong conviction about having Sabbath rhythms in your life, setting firm boundaries in your life. And it might even feel a little bit like it's off brand for me to be doing a series about work. (laughs) You know, like this is the rest guy. This guy (laughs) is always talking about, you know, turning it off and, Mm -hmm. you know, focusing on your family and taking a real vacation, you know, and stuff like that. But I think the, the, the missing component there that people might not realize is that the reason in part that I talk about that stuff so much is because I love work mm-hmm. and could very easily be a work addict who yeah. overworks, who, uh, you know, I love goal setting and, you know, I'm not bummed out when it's a work day. I'm happy to do what I do. And that doesn't mean that every day of my pastoral life is easy or that it's always fun, or that it's even always progressive in the sense that we like accomplish something significant that day. It's just that I like working. I like Mm -hmm. grinding. I like slowly churning out work that takes a number of years to accomplish. I like all that, you know, don't get me wrong. I like vacation and I like rest Mm -hmm. and I like my days off also. But I think the reason for me why they've had so much importance in my life is because of the work aspect and dynamic. So to me, I think part of the answer to your question, you know, how do you know? I mean, cause the, the reality is like later on in the series, I'm going to talk about how to do good work. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I want to draw out is the principle of Sabbath and rest and all of that as a way to prepare you for doing better work. You know, that's the way I think at least about Mm -hmm. a Sabbath each week or a really good vacation. It's not that I'm recovering necessarily or exclusively from what came before. It's that I'm preparing for what is coming after. Mm -hmm. So like a good friend of mine asked me the other day, um, on a little channel that we use to kind of talk about pastoral stuff. He said, Hey man, my family and I were getting ready this summer to go on our first like long vacation where we'll be away from the church and those responsibilities for a few weeks. What are some things that have worked for you? What are some best practices? And one of the things that I shared with him was, Hey, well for us, when we do that, the last couple of days of our time away and we take like a big block each summer, the last couple of days, we're like really talking about the next year. We're really thinking about the next year and we sit down with our calendars and we kind of plot out what we want our rhythms to look like for the Mm -hmm. year that's coming. So we're not just like in a coma 
recovering from the chaos of life and work and ministry. We're resting for sure. We're letting ourselves resettle. But then like once that's happened and we're kind of like emerging from that time of mm-hmm. rest, we're, we're preparing for what is going to come. So maybe a good answer to the question that you're asking, like how do you find that balance is, well, if you're sensing, if, if you never have the sense that you need Sabbath to recover, then mm. probably you're not working that hard. <laughs> and if your Sabbath can't even get you to full recovery and then into anticipation of what's coming, then maybe you're working too hard. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the, the act of like slowing down for that 24 hour period of time each week or that one full work day each week, just kind of monitoring like how effective it's been. Is it enough to help you recover? Then that's a good sign. And is it enough to help you launch into what's coming in the week to come? Then mm-hmm. that's a good sign. But if it's not sufficient, then maybe there's some overwork that's there. And if it's uh, not needed, then there's probably some underwork that's yeah. there. What What would you say is a good restful activity for you when you are recovering or trying to prepare I was talking about our work series with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about the rest. And for him, rest is, I'm going to go back and watch Netflix for eight hours a day and binge. Mm -hmm. For me, I like to get out into into nature and just really focus on creation and and things like that. But there are also times where I want to go binge Netflix, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily healthy. Um, is it okay to have those unhealthy rest moments? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't want to put too fine of an edge on it because everybody is different. Just like you Mm -hmm. illustrated with you and your friend, you guys are two different people, same species, but just wired differently. Right. You know, so we go through different seasons of life, even where something that was restorative for us at one point of life, isn't as restorative for us at another some people are so driven and so type A that like even their rest is productive where mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm going to take an art class or I'm going to, you yeah. know, and it's like, oh, you're just mastering like some other hobby that might not even be restful for you. So really make sure that it is rest uh, for you. What your friend is talking about is passive consumption mm-hmm. and Uh, For me, I do enjoy a decent amount of passive consumption in my times of rest, but I just think it's good to keep it in balance and to keep it Mm -hmm. in check because um, to me, as I've just kind of watched my own life, a lot of times passive consumption, it's like a pause on real rest where nothing's really happening there. Mm -hmm. I'm not being restored in my mind or my spirit Mm, or my soul. My body might be being restored a little bit, but here's the thing. I'm not, I don't have a a physical labor job. Mm -hmm. So my job is mentally taxing. My job is emotionally taxing. And I think a lot of people that work in the knowledge industry or a lot of people in our modern time, that's the case with them. 
So it's not so much that they need time off their feet, it's that they need time for their brain to be restored. And I find that that passive consumption can't really get that job done. All I can really say is what my rhythm is, you know, what I like to do to kind of get that rest in an ideal week. And to be honest, a lot of times I'm able to get this into my life because I do schedule it. Mm -hmm. Um, My work week is Sunday through Thursday, typically, if I don't have any Saturday things that I need to do. And um, what our family does is on Fridays, that's kind of our day to really rest and be together and just kind of hang out. Saturday is like my sixth work day in the sense of all my homework, chores, Mm. responsibilities. I might have somebody I'm discipling or I might have some sermon prep that I need to do on a Saturday or of course, weddings and things like that when Mm -hmm. they come up. But Friday is kind of my day to really just chill with my family. So what I try to do is finish all my work on Thursday afternoon, head home, get a little workout in, go out on a date with Christina. And that's kind of like the kickoff to just really being together and relaxing. Friday morning, we get up, sleep in a little bit, make breakfast for the family. And we sit at that breakfast table for probably two hours, just kind of talking, hanging out. Keep in mind, I have three daughters. So (laughs) uh, if you have three sons, you're probably not going to be sitting at the table talking (laughs) about life. You know, you'll something is going to break out, you know, there's going to be some kind of physical combat that's, uh, (laughs) you know, happening, but this is just our family. And then, you know, we'll go out to coffee. We'll, you know, go, you know, shopping, we'll go for a walk. Sometimes we'll just lay around in the backyard and chill. Inevitably, Christina and I go on a hike in the afternoon. That's Mm -hmm. part of, for us, that feels very restorative to just get out in nature, Mm -hmm. breathe some fresh air, do some physical exercise. And then Friday night is Holdridge family movie night where we get a bunch of candy or treats (laughs) or cookies or whatever, make a bunch of popcorn and, watch something, you Mm -hmm. know, and just kind of hang out and chill together. And that's where that passive consumption comes. So the gaps in the day are filled with things like reading books or playing card games or whatever. We're just kind of together. Inevitably, there's some point on a Friday (laughs) where dad sneaks off and what's dad doing right now? Oh, he's taking a nap, (laughs) you know, (laughs) get that 10, 20 minute nap in there and I'm good to go. And then, you know, hit the sack on Friday night and wake up early on Saturday ready to go. You know, yeah. whether it's meeting with somebody or, you know, getting my chores done for that, that weekend. Uh, but that for us and for me has been, you know, really restorative. I'm just describing right now. I'm not prescribing. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what everybody else needs to do or how it needs to work for them. And every family's different. You know, we've chosen to homeschool our kids. So they basically go to MPC when they're in high school. So for the most part, that means that they can um, be available on Fridays. But even now, you know, some of them are working and they've got classes that sometimes interfere with the Friday thing. So we have to be flexible and all of that. But in general, that's what has worked for us. Yeah, that's good. I like that. It's always even good to like hear what other people are doing so you can take some you know, insight from other people and pull from that. Totally. So that's good. One of the things I like that you pointed on in your sermon was that we work um, because it matters to God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it it did get me thinking 
I remember when I was in high school and I was working, I worked at Chick-fil-A. And I, the reason I chose Chick-fil-A is like, oh, because this is a godly organization. I get to share my faith with people and they're not going to be mad at me, <laughs> you know. And it got me thinking, for people that, you know, are in our church or people that do have a very strong passion for the Lord and for evangelizing and witnessing, how does someone who is in that workplace who might not be able to share their faith, how can they be a good witness to build up God's kingdom when they're kind of being suppressed? Sure, yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of people are wrestling with that in our modern time. But here's a couple of observations. You know, first of all, uh, most Christians, I mean, I've been pastoring for over 20 years now, and people have been talking to me about workplace dynamics and their faith the whole time. 20 years ago, nobody came to me and said, you know what is the easiest thing? Sharing my faith at work. <laughs> like, even when it felt less restrictive and less taboo and it wasn't even like legislated out of mm -hmm. a company or something like that, even when, you know, companies weren't as, um, you know, progressive or woke or politically correct as they are today, even in those bygone eras, it was not always easy to share your faith. These are people that you're working with. You're going to see them tomorrow. So even if you had carte blanche permission <laughs> to share your testimony every yeah. day, it would still have a, there'd still be a little bit of tension because you know, this can be a delicate issue for people. And if they mm -hmm. don't believe they don't want to receive what you're saying, it could create a little bit of awkwardness the next day. So Let's remember that this moment that we're in right now, where it feels like a revolution to a lot of people, uh, is not the only moment where it's been hard to share your mm -hmm. faith in your workplace. Um, the other thing I think that I want to say is, and I mentioned it at, at some point, is I don't think that we should expect um, organizations, businesses, especially when they're led by people who are not believers to always accurately reflect God's kingdom values. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just not going to be a reality. So it's going to be harder and harder as the years go by for Christians to find uh, organizations that they look at and they say, I am down with every single thing that this organization is for. And this mm -hmm. I think becomes increasingly important because if you think about the way that our economy is shifting and you know what's happening, the rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poor, and that's true in business as well. So you're seeing big businesses get bigger mm -hmm. and little businesses kind of just go away. These big businesses that get bigger, they have so much pressure to do and say these hyper-politically correct things and hold these positions and stances that Christians can't hold. So if you think about it, like there's all these jobs out there that are in companies that are going to state values that are hard for Christians to be able to stomach. It's going to present quite a challenge for mm -hmm. a lot of believers. So there probably is some aspect of saying, hey, you know, you need to put your head down, think about your area and how you're representing Jesus in yeah. your part of that organization doesn't mean that you buy into everything that they're about, but can you improve your little corner of that universe? Um, you know, I think about 
positions, for instance, uh, like Amazon has taken, I'm pretty sure that my Amazon delivery truck driver doesn't <laughs> hold every single one of those positions. Yeah, exactly. They're just thinking about their part of the organization. Hey, there's people out here in my part of the world that have ordered goods that they want <laughs> delivered to their house. And I'm going to try to do that in a timely manner. It doesn't mean that I'm standing for everything that the executives at the upper echelon of this company are standing for. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be something that I think Christians have to navigate. And that can be a challenge. You know, teachers mm -hmm. in our state have been doing that for a long time, trying to figure out how do I maintain my Christianity while working inside of a, an organization or a group or a collective that uh, is you know, stating things or creating initiatives that I just can't agree with. That's going to be a challenge for believers. But on the other hand, one of the things I was trying to, I'm trying to produce with this series is a strong sense in people that um, sharing the love of Christ uh, in my workplace is more than just what I do verbally, but is who I am. And the quality yeah. of my work and the quality of my character and the way that I'm treating people. And I would really encourage people not to underestimate the value of mm -hmm. that. I am definitely not and have never been one of those people who agrees with the statement, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. It is necessary to mm -hmm. use words to communicate the gospel. You can't only live the gospel and expect anyone to ever get saved, the gospel must be communicated at some point. Mm -hmm. Some how will they be saved unless they hear the message? And they can't hear the message without someone to declare the message to them. But the best way to build a platform for yourself to declare that message in the proper time is through your life. And mm -hmm. in your workplace, the way that you work is a major thing that people are watching. Now, sometimes it might just come out that it might not even be you that is the mouthpiece for your coworker. Mm. A lot of people don't think about that. They think, I love my coworkers. I want them to know Jesus. It might be that someone else shares the gospel with them, but that you are building the platform for that person to share the gospel. Because through the quality of your life, mm -hmm. as you as that person, you know, is being told the gospel, they're thinking, you know, I, I've got a coworker, this guy named Dan. He's like the nicest, kindest, hardest working guy. And I, I've figured out that he's a Christian and now I'm hearing this message uh, that, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like at least the kind of person that I've seen in this one instance mm -hmm. of what a believer is. So, you know, that we would be people who don't underestimate that. Yeah. And then I think when it comes to personal conversation, just being willing to, um, I think sometimes we put a pressure on ourselves to seal the deal. You know, like if I'm going to share the gospel, I also got to give an invitation like today for that yeah. person to place their faith in Christ. But especially with someone that you're working with, you might have a lot of time, you know, it, you might be able to, I mean, obviously we don't know what tomorrow holds and the Lord could come back today. You know, we know all of that, but the reality is you'll probably see that person again. Mm -hmm. So taking the time to let them ask questions for you to ask them questions. And I think that's a great kind of strategy to take is to ask them 
caring questions about their family, their key relationships, what they're interested in, what they like to do, what their goals are. As you just express interest in them, the opportunity for the gospel begins to come at the Mm -hmm. right moments. And then just pray, 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 (laughs) and ask God by his spirit to give you those moments uh, where it's just clearly the time to be able to share a little bit more than you might otherwise be able Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, that's good. The thing I like that you touched on is the quality of that work. And so kind of playing off of that, what is some good tools that you use for advice that you could give to someone who might not have such great work quality? They are strong in their faith. They love the Lord, but their quality of work lacks big time or they're super lazy and they want to develop a better quality of work to display some of that quality to the people around them. That's a great question. And I don't want to spoil my coming teaching because (laughs) I am going to do a full study on how to do good work. And I was looking at my preparation I've done so far for this series. And I thought to myself the other day, I thought I might need to split that teaching up into two because uh, there's a lot that I'd like to say on that subject. But one of the things I'm going to talk about when we get to that portion about how to do good work, one thing I want to try to do is draw the connection between the spiritual disciplines Mm. and the quality of our work. I think a lot of people don't understand how things like solitude or prayer or Bible reading or fellowship or corporate worship do anything to change the quality of their work, but they do. When you become a person who's able to practice the spiritual disciplines, in a sense, you're becoming a person who's able to do hard things, mm. counterintuitive things. Yeah. Uh, so that would be one area of your life, like maintain your inner person, maintain your walk with God, because that actually will strengthen you for the work that you're doing. I think another thing that I would say is in your workplace, there's somebody who's crushing it. See if you can glean from them and even be mentored by them about how they do what they do. You have to become a perpetual learner Mm -hmm. if you want to increase your work skill. Everybody learns in a different kind of way, or at least that's what we've been told. Uh, I'm not sure that I buy that as much as we're often told. I'm a finger painter. I, I don't know that that's always the case, I think. But if, if you can become, for instance, a reader, mm-hmm. there's so much out there that can help you improve your either organizational skills, your uh, planning ability, your uh, leadership skills. So there's a lot of ways to grow just by learning from other people. So mm-hmm. it might be a podcast that you want to follow or books that you want to read that help you grow and increase But again, going to the person who's actually doing it and saying, how are you doing this? And then, you know, honestly, uh, your your church life can help you in some significant ways because like you mentioned sloth, for instance. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a sin, you know, and we are fleshly people. So our flesh, that flesh part of us wants to do things that feel good. And in the moment, it feels good to be slothful. 
So how do we combat sins? Well, you confess them to God, but you also confess them to your brothers or your sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. You ask for prayer. You seek counsel about how to overcome. You make commitments to God and to your fellow church member to say, I'm not doing this anymore. And you begin progressing out of that, trusting that the spirit is going to sanctify you for it. So for the parts of your work that aren't quality because of sin, Mm -hmm. not just like sin in the universe, but sin like in you, (laughs) a lot of the regular things that you do for, you know, regular sin in your everyday life or relationships will are what will help you in your workplace Mm -hmm. uh, as well. That's good. I really look forward to hearing that part of the series, but to wrap it up, your final point, you spoke about how our work is forever. And I would be remiss if I didn't, wasn't honest. And I was shocked when you heard this, we're going to be working in heaven. It's not going to be like we're sitting on a cloud, you know, just chilling in a mansion. Like, we're going to be working. What uh, What are your thoughts on that? Like, t- for people that might not have listened to the sermon, what, what are we going to be doing in heaven? Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, I mean, again, where am I getting that from? I'm getting that from, okay, the nature of God. He appears when things are not broken and he's working. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in the Garden of Eden, when everything is perfect and beautiful and there's no sin and it's God and man and paradise, Adam is working. And then in the book of Revelation, when sin goes away and Jesus comes and rules and reigns first on earth and then in the new heavens and the new earth, there. It's implicit, it's implied, but it's clear that we're ruling with Jesus. There are, there's talk of nations. Uh, there's talk of culture or societies that are being represented in God's throne room. And so you just imagine like, well, how's that going to work? How do things like <laughs> ruling and reigning, how do things like nations or cultures or societies how do they function if somebody isn't doing something? Yeah. So maybe the better way to think about it, I mean, God did put Adam in the garden to work or to tend the garden. So that's a job. But I think when we consider work, we think about something that can be a pain or that we'd rather not do. Um, But perhaps we could think about it more like functioning, Mm. you know, how will we be functioning in eternity? Will be will we be in this comatose state? Will we be in a zen-like experience where we're just like having our eyes closed and we're like trying to concentrate on nothing? Like no, that's not what's going to happen. We're going to be as we're going to be fully functioning as human beings. So if Adam was a fully functioning human tending the garden, Uh, And he wasn't like angry about it or like, man, this is such a bummer. Why did God make me? I got to like deal with this garden. It was something (laughs) good and beautiful and wonderful for him. We're going to be fully functioning there in eternity. So I just imagine that there is going to be something for us to do. And I would imagine that God will allow that to be productive. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for instance, You know, just because we go to heaven doesn't mean that we're going to have omniscience, for 
instance. We'll mm. still be created beings. We'll be eternal. We'll know him as we're known, it says in 1 John. But we're not going to be omniscient. We're not just going to automatically know everything that there is to know. That mm -hmm. belongs to God. So could we be learning for all of eternity? I think we will be learning for all of eternity. Yeah. Otherwise, we would know everything and, and God would, you know, we'd be equal to him. Mm -hmm. So our work might involve learning. It might involve building or developing. I don't really know exactly what it's going to look like. But um, the bodies that we receive, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these bodies are like a seed of that body. But there is a resemblance so would it surprise me if there was food? No, not at all. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was able to eat yeah. in that resurrected state. So that means that someone's probably going to be making that food <laughs> and they'll probably be really good at it. And I would imagine they'd have like incredible joy from doing it. Mm -hmm. There won't be any waste. There won't be any uh, like... Uh, people being denied access to good food or healthy yeah. food. Like none of that will happen. There'll be no food that can like destroy us or hurt us where it's like, man, it tastes really good, but it's like wrecking me. Like it'll <laughs> all be good and right yeah. and holy. But, um, so I, again, it's like, I keep saying, I don't know how it's going to look. And then I keep saying, but maybe <laughs> like this, um, I think it's one of those things it's 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 hard for theologians to put a sharp edge on mm -hmm. exactly what that's going to look like but uh and I tried to use words like I think and I suspect yeah. you know in my sermon because I don't have a strong certainty I don't know exactly what the eternal state is going to be like yeah but there are clues that have been scattered throughout scripture but I think also clues in our own human heart of things that we long for and that we crave that we can't have here. And I think one of them is work that is always effective yeah. where the job always gets done and beauty is always made and progress is always made. And I think we're going to have that fulfilled eternally. Yeah. Well, I love all of that and I'm super excited to continue this series with you and work is a huge part of our life. And a lot of the people that are probably listening to this are on their way to work, driving to work, right. doing work while this is playing in the background. And so it's great to get this new perspective on work, godly work, godly rest, and to hear what um, the Bible even has to say about work. And so if, if you guys are listening to this right now and you're doing work, uh, this is what it's about. Go to calvary.com to hear Pastor Nate's messages on work and what godly work is. And we're excited to hit this series off. So let's get to work. Yeah, it sounds good, man. And I'm just hoping and praying that every believer who's engaging with the word in this way, that we would all just have this stronger sense that, hey, what I'm doing, it really matters in mm -hmm. God's sight. He cares about it. Not just mm -hmm. in this like trite, patriarchal, kind of condescending way, like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I care, you know, it doesn't really <laughs> matter, but I care. Yeah. No, it like, it really matters to God. And the way that we work is important. And yeah. 
and God, God loves us. He sees what the, what we're doing with this significant portion of our time. And so my prayer is that we'd all kind of leave this study saying, Oh, I'm so thankful that God made work. I'm so thankful that he gave me work to do. And I'm so thankful that he's with me as I work. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. For more information and to take the discussion further, you can visit nateholdridge.com for additional articles and content. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.